Welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 79. I'm Mo, and I'm here with Al and Al. <laughs> I don't know which one was which. <laughs> How's it Hi. going? Hi. Hi. How you doing down there? Good. Good, both good. sat on the floor and I'm sitting high and mighty on a chair in the corner. <laughs> Why didn't you come sit with us? Because uh, I like to feel like a king. Well, you can't sit with us. Oh, <laughs> cool, fine, whatever. Uh, it's another big week in the world of metal. We're going to be taking a deep dive into the Tool album later. And when I say we, I mean Eleanor, because she likes Tool <laughs> loads. <laughs> and if you like Tool, you should, of course, pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer magazine. It is out right now in all UK shops. It's sold out online very, very quickly. So if you want to get the uh, the Tool edition of the mag, that comes with the free bonus 16-page Tool magazine. Looking for all their early years and various other things. Uh, you need to get out into UK shops now. To find your nearest copy, you need to go to tinyurl.com forward slash findhammer. That's find, uh, tinyurl.com forward slash findhammer. There's loads of other cool shit in it as well, including a free kill switch engage art print designed by Mike D. Uh, thrash metal stickers from people like Megadeth, Anthrax, uh, Exodus, Power Trip. Um, and that's not even getting to all the other stuff that's actually inside the mag, which of there is loads. So go and pick it up right now, immediately. Um, and yeah, speaking of all that, we're finally getting a Tool album this week. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, it's been a long time. 13 years <laughs> in the making. The internet is losing its shit in at fact, the prospect by the of time finally this, getting there. Sorry. <laughs> by the time this is aired or on online, you're listening, um, it'll be out. Good point. It will be out <laughs> right now. So uh, yeah, let us know what you think of it. Come to the Mount Hammer Facebook group at uh, facebook.com forward slash Mount Hammer Readers. As I said, Elle's going to take us through her thoughts on the tall album Fear Inoculum in a bit. Um, in terms of what's been going on in the news in the metal world this week, a lot of Slipknot stuff. <laughs> lot of Slipknot stuff. Go on. Uh, well, first and foremost is the UK tour. Well, European tour, but with a load of UK dates on there, which is very exciting. Slipknot are coming back to the UK for a tour with Behemoth. Yeah, that gonna is going to be, gonna really be good. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. My goodness gracious me, we excited for that? I don't think yeah. you have to ask, do you? Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> are you? Yeah, obviously. I love the new record and I really can't wait to see them do more of it. Yeah, it's going to be rad. And Behemoth as well. I mean, uh, I said this on Twitter, but um, I think one of the really cool things about when metal bands do well and they are smashing it in the mainstream, obviously since I've got another one album and so there's a lot of attention on them at the moment. Um, to then take an, ex- you know, unapologetically extreme metal band um, like Behemoth into arenas is really fucking cool because I can't remember the last time a band like that got put on a stage that big in the UK. It's really exciting. Yeah, and it also shuts mm-hmm. people up who don't like the new record or think Slipknot have gone soft. Hello, yeah, exactly. have, a, have a listen to Solway Firth, but you know. Yeah, exactly, what are you talking about? Um, and you know, I think there's always a big thing about what it means for the metal scene at large when metal bands do well and they go a bit, you know, enter into the mainstream consensus and all of that. And this just shows that not only is Slipknot still in touch with the, the heavier side of the scene, but they're actively supporting it, which is great. And if ever there was an extreme metal band that could bring a show worthy of big venues it's uh behemoth they're playing like actual proper big venues aren't they in london it's the, the o2 yeah. yeah biggest uh, arena in london so yeah. that's a twenty thousand cap that behemoth are going to be playing <laughs> first time I've ever, bleh, first time i ever saw behemoth they were like second up on a bill at the garage i think about 10 years ago so the idea that they're now my main supporter at the o2 arena is pretty ridiculous and exciting how many bibles can they burn 
loads probs <laughs> loads uh yeah really really exciting times um also in slipknot news this week uh the band have a lot of unreleased material which we actually i think kind of helped to break as a new story in our uh, cover feature with the band late last year um a ton of ses- a ton of songs from the 2008 sessions for all hope is gone um never made it to actually being released and there's around an album's worth of material according to some, to some stuff that the band told us uh, last year um old Corey's been having a bit of a talk about it and he said some of it sounds like radiohead so well, i think spiders on the new record didn't that come from those sessions they were led by clown did not they i think pretty sure yeah they were led by Clown and it was sort of a breakout group during the All Hope Is Gone sessions. Clown, Corey and a couple of the other guys got together as sort of a separate group and recorded stuff that was a bit avant-garde and weird and experimental and I'm pretty sure Spiders started from there. Wow. So Spiders mm. is not really from the um, We think, Are Not Your Kind I think sessions. So. I, think it's from, I think it's from those days. That is fascinating. Wow. Um, I mean, people are making a big thing about the Radiohead comment, but I somehow imagine it's something that's been taken drastically out of context as part of an interview he said. probably meant it was like more experimental or something, I would guess. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Uh, More Slipknot news. Well, kind of. Uh, Corey's also been talking about potentially doing a solo album in 2021. So he's obviously thinking pretty far ahead. Um, I mean, he's done some solo stuff before, but a proper Corey Taylor solo album feels like something. I'm quite amazed we haven't had that yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do agree. I left a space for you to talk there, Alice. Oh, okay. I have nothing more to say. I'm just surprised that it hasn't happened. <laughs> I went to see, was it Stone Sour? No, it was an evening with Corey Taylor, wasn't it? Yeah. At Coco. And he sort of played some material on stage, some Stone Sour stuff. And then there was a Q&A from the audience there was definitely like a lot of love in that room for Corey Taylor. And I think people will be really receptive to a solo album. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And he's kind of said it's going to run the full uh, gauntlet of everything he he uh, has done. So there'll be softer stuff on there. There'll be heavier stuff on there. I'll be stunned if there's not some acoustic stuff on there as well, because I know he likes to do a bit of that. Um, so yeah, we will see what happens. Somebody tell me some news in the, from Metal this week that is not Slipknot related. <laughs> Okay, I shall. Wow, <laughs> they're killing it with these long pauses, guys. Enthusiasm here is like unbelievable. Help me you, out, guys. I need you, some. You gave on. me like a look like you were going to say it. <laughs> um, so, in non slipknot news, um, Five Finger Death Punch are touring Europe supported by Megadeth. That is strange. Strange? Yeah. Okay, interesting. I'm going <laughs> to come back to you about that. I was about to say massive. <laughs> uh, yeah, Meg, um, so th- this is not a Megadeth, Five Finger Death Punch during the headline tour. This is very much a Five Finger Death Punch tour, although they have kind of um, half officially called it, I think, Megadeth, the Megadeth Punch tour. So it's definitely all about two massive bands touring together, but it does seem like Five Finger Death Punch will be headlining and Megadeth will be kind of serving in a main support kind of role, which is quite inter- interesting, maybe. Mm. I can't Alice called it strange. Can you remember when they came over with Lamb of God? I saw the Birmingham show and it was mega, it was mega death. That was, no, was a Lamb joint headliner. Mega death, wasn't it? But it had been, had it rotated. I don't know I if remember. it rotated, but I'm pretty sure that was billed as a, yeah. a joint headliner. Yeah. I think. Um, I might have to double check that actually. But, but yeah, my show was definitely Lamb of God and then Mega Death, and I can't really remember whether it was the same one of the shows or not. Uh, no, it was, yeah, I mean Mega Death definitely came on after Lamb of God when I. Okay, um, so it's probably the I same order all the time then, even if it was a joint show. Yeah, exactly. But this time, it'll be Megadeth and then Five Finger. 
Uh, it seems yeah. mad. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it does, other than Megadeth are a, a historically, you know, bigger and more influential metal band. I don't know if I would say that Megadeth are definitely bigger than Five Finger Death Punch in 2019. Well, I guess Five Finger Death Punch release more frequently and have fans who are really, 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 really into it. Yeah, people... they have devoted fans, definitely. Definitely. I think people but... really underestimate how big that band are. You know, because they're not... Because they're around all the time, like you said, El, they release albums a lot. I it's mean, only a like lot. every year there's another album. Yeah, they, I mean, they, there was a period where they did... If you include the double album as two kind of albums they there's a, there was a year when they did like five sorry there was a time in where they did like five albums in six years or something ridiculous mm, yeah, so really they've really got a prolific uh turnout um and in that time they just got bigger especially globally i saw them headline uh welcome to rockville in the states and they played to a fucking massive crowd there was about sixty thousand people there just for them it was ridiculous well i'm not going to complain because i like five finger death punch and i'm not even going to say it's a guilty pleasure so no, i love five finger death punch a lot but it's interesting to see what people make of this billing. Yeah, you I definitely, guess. I definitely feel like everyone's going to come out and think that it's weird and think that Megadeth deserved to headline because yeah. they're much more of a prestige band than Five Figure Death Punch. I'd still think that, I still, I'd still say they're bigger though, like just as in, like more people have heard of Megadeth, like outside of the metal community and everything. Yeah, this is what it comes down to. What what does bigger mean? Does bigger mean how many tickets you can sell? Does it mean your influence on the on the genre? Does it mean how many albums you've sold? I mean, Megadeth, I would assume, have definitely sold more albums than Five Finger Death Punch overall. Mm. But this is the second time that Five Finger Death Punch will be doing uh, a tour of this size. I don't think they've officially announced what venues they're playing and all that kind of stuff. But I know they're kind of doing a slow rollout of dates on the Megadeth Punch website they've set up. Um, so this, I mean, this is going to be an arena tour, I presume. We don't, I don't think they've announced the, the, the official venues yet, but I'm presuming it's going to be one. And if so, that would be the second kind of arena sized dates that Five Finger Death Punch have done on these shows. I like the name though. Mega Death Punch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's solid. It's solid. It's really good. Um, good merch opportunity there as well. Yeah, definitely. Vic Rattlehead and whatever. What's that guy called? Five Finger Death Punch have that mascot as well, don't they? Uh, they should do that. They should do like a versus like fighting thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Do they the two mascots one? brawling. Yeah, the it's like a skull and it's like... I don't know. Oh, I just think of the um, knuckle duster thing. They yeah. definitely have a guy. Hold on, I'm going to look him up and then find him. The name, knuckle name duster up. and how there's five of them and it makes a fist. Yeah, and it's like... The way, the way of the fist like but also i think um i don't think uh um that meg death will get anything less than a you know a pretty long set like minimum an hour and a bit i think so it'll be like a proper decent megadeth set i'm sure they'll bring their own show and the other thing is like yeah a lot of people probably do know um probably know who megadeth are um because metal bands tend to be have a good, you know, memory of the more veteran bands and stuff than other genres. But at the same time, there's probably a lot of Five Finger Death Punch fans who have got into them, who've almost got into metal through them or see them as a band who have kind of helped them understand the scene a bit more. That might maybe have heard of Megadeth, but don't actually know many of their songs or haven't seen them before. And this will be a good opportunity for them to kind of check them out, you know? That is true. Hmm. As does happen. Um, you know it's a good thing when bands can support each other that's what i think about this kind of stuff 
and the mascot is called <laughs> go on knucklehead oh okay <laughs> so knucklehead and vic rattlehead knucklehead versus rattlehead yeah come on you know this guy right which guy Hold on, I'm gonna... go on the skull dude with the... that guy oh, that oh. guy yeah right there you go him he's like a skull dude okay. with um with like a, a f- that's why um ivan moody's always got like the handprint on his head oh. it's the skull guy with the handprint on his head so yeah well i don't understand so if no one's thought really. of that yet and i'm sure someone has <laughs> we want a knucklehead versus um big rattlehead two heads as well come on this has got this has got to be made this is not perfect. <laughs> someone do this artwork i will buy that t-shirt i'll buy the shit out of it um so yeah dates are slowly being revealed on megadeathpunch.com and we'll have all the latest info on that tour on metalhammer.com as well um, that's punch. all coming later this year but yeah really excited megadeth and fighting death punch fuck yes two brilliant bands touring together oh, i am happy with that um shall we talk about this orange goblin situation yes uh you might have to pants you might have to fill us in a bit here so yeah the band announced their drummer, Chris Turner, will miss their upcoming US tour due to an issue with his visa application. Yes. So that's that's happening. Yeah. So he's not going on the tour because he's got a visa problem. I think the tour is underway as we speak as well. It's kind of rolling onwards at the moment or in the, in the very, very near future at least. So they've got Chad Walls to fill in instead. Yeah. And there's the kind of uh, run of six shows. They're getting scheduled to get underway. Yeah, this week. So they are going ahead as planned. They've had a um, Chad Walls who's coming in to fill in for Chris. Who's like, Chris is a long time member of the band as well. Um, and obviously Orange Goblin are pissed off about this because according to them, what they've said in their statement is that they started the visa application process months ago. They were giving a last minute embassy appointment um with chris told that he'd have to provide a ton of informa- information for administrative processing um again the band say that he already had six working u.s visas and um, has a u.s u.s social security number obviously working as a band in the u.s you need to have a lot of stuff in place for, for that to work it's it's not it's not an easy process to get going um but the band also said in a statement that the extra info they asked of him uh, included 15 years international travel history, every single Orange Goblin show outside the UK, every single personal family holiday Chris has taken, 15 years address history, 15 years employment history, all the names and birthdays of the family, every phone number and email address that he's used in the last 15 years, loads and loads and loads of info that uh, Orange Goblin have said that they were required to give to be able to get Chris on this US tour. Um, and ultimately, he still wasn't able to to make it through, which is a real shame. So... Um, I don't know if there'll be more news on that soon. But in the meantime, if you are in the US and you happen to be on that run of dates, which I think are kind of running over into the West Coast area at the moment, um, but go onto Orange Goblin's website uh, or onto metalhammer.com to check out uh, Orange Goblin's um, list of US dates that they're going through now. And if you can get to one, go to one, go buy some merch, shout about the show, pick up their albums, uh, because they are one of the greatest British heavy metal bands of the last 20 plus years and they really deserve your support. Um, and it's a real shame that one of their, you know, a real core cool member of the band hasn't been able to go and not just experiences with them, but I don't know if he's going to lose money through that or what it is. So it's a bit of a bum thing that's happened to them. So if you can support Orange Goblin, go and support them because they're one of the best bands going, period. And they deserve to be uh, not having to put up with poo situations like this. That's a serious amount of personal information mm. as well. So it's much insane. is required. Obviously, when you do visa applications, they do require a certain level of information, but that is really serious amount of information. Did they give any reason as to 
like why? I don't know. They know, didn't they? Or it's justification? Just They've just and how come the other guys got through fine? No, that's idea. what I was wondering. It's weird that one of them wasn't through, but they they insisted he didn't have a criminal record. Criminal record. Oh god, that should be easier to say. Um, yeah, they said he doesn't have a criminal record. He's not affiliated with any political group or organization. He hasn't traveled to a blacklisted country or anything like that. Um, so yeah, no idea well, why this is happening. No, either do you? I think it says on the US visa website that you can't always get details of why they've rejected your application. Like they won't tell you. Really? Yeah. Ooh. That's interesting. Mm. Well, maybe they're just not Orange Goblin fans or just not fans of the drama. What a shame. That is a shame. But yeah, as you said, go support Orange Goblin if you can. If you're listening to this from America and you're near or near about one of those shows, get down to them. And even if you're not, go see Orange Goblin next time they're near you and go pick up some merch because they are the tits. The absolute tits. Say tits again. Tits. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes. I was going to let you do the On link, that note. Oh, I don't know where to go with that now. Are we going to talk about the Tool album? Let's talk about the Tool album. Fear Inoculum is finally upon us. Oh, my word. Um, now, we've been able to sit with it a little bit longer because uh, we yes. went to like a couple of listening sessions a while back. Um, so we've kind of formulated some thoughts. And as I've said, Elle's probably best place to, <laughs> to give them because she's a tool Let's fanatic. The beginning. And did the amazing cover feature, which you can read in the new issue where we actually talked to the band. So yeah, Feel Inoculum is here. What is your what is your take on this album, Elle? It's 13 years. Was it worth the wait? What are you saying about it? Yeah, I think it's, I think I mentioned last week, it's sort of tall, but even more tall. The songs are longer. They're kind of exploring a lot of different things. It feels almost like, a, a sort of continuation of lateralis obviously they've had 10,000 days in the meantime but a lot of the sort of themes and the feel of it are quite lateralis the sort of echoes of schism and parabola and stuff on there as well um should we talk about some of the tracks it might be easier yeah yeah go for it being a bit vague. What, what stands out for you well obviously the title track fear inoculum that's one that's out in the wild that came out a few weeks back mm-hmm. so everyone will have heard that by now and that's i'd say that's fairly representative of the record as a whole it kind of starts off and builds and builds and builds into different layers and it's kind of like almost quite restrained but there is a lot going on still at the same time um numa the second track that's my favorite track i think really at the moment yeah so it's quite the riff and it's quite memorable danny said that's one of the th- first things they wrote for the record and again, it really reminds me of Lateralis. It kind of sounds a bit like The Patient, a bit like the extended part of Schism that they play when they do it live. And lyrically, the first track, it sort of talks about exhaling contagion um, and kind of exercising things and getting things out of yourself. And then Numa, that word actually means a person's vital spirit, soul or creative energy. Uh, from Greek it means breath spirit wind so it's kind of this idea it sort of flows like fear inoculum is kind of talking about exercising and expelling things and then Numa almost talks about kind of the breath and they kind of flow and link into each other and for me there's sort of this idea of connectivity there as well between humans it says in the lyrics uh numa reach out beyond wake up remember we are born of one breath one word we are all one spark eyes full of wonder Mm. so i kind of like that it's interesting and i feel like it's maybe continuing what maynard was doing on a perfect circles eat the elephant that was out last year 
so that had a lot of stuff in it about kind of putting down social media and reconnecting with people and doing things that are worthwhile and we spoke to him on that record for Hammer and he said that you're missing out on a lot of connection if you believe you have to kind of do all these things like um, the kind of distractions like social media or there's a line in So Long and Thanks for All the Fish where it talks about diets, lawyers, shrinks and apps and flags and plastic surgery. So kind of all these like distractions in modern life. If you're just focusing on those kinds of things and not on real life and connecting with people, you're missing out. So I sort of feel there's a bit of a connection here between those lyrical themes about that kind of thing of human connectivity and being present in the moment and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're kind of interesting. I thought they were sort of quite chilled almost like quite kind of ritualistic they sort of kind of have that sort of flow where they're sort of calming and kind of lulling and yeah they're kind of ones to sort of sit back and take in and then there's another track we haven't heard yet which comes after these two the uh that is that the bonus track it's an interlude so on the digital oh. edition there's an interlude called litany contra la peur and that's probably like litany against fear isn't it in french yeah, but I've not heard that. We. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm imagining from the other interludes, it's probably some kind of electronic thing. We'll have to listen to that when it comes out. And then Invincible, that's one of the ones they've played live. And that talks about the warrior struggling to remain relevant. And we chatted about in the cover feature about how they've had this 13-year wait for the record. And the band kind of talks about getting older and what that means. So I feel like that might be sort of a little bit of a personal one as well like talking about how you remain relevant as you get older and how that all connects with each other and the intro to that is quite long and there isn't any bass for the first four minutes and in our cover feature Justin Chancellor told this really nice story do you remember that one yeah 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 so he says kind of that he was playing the song on stage but because he doesn't do anything for four minutes he was pointing at the crowd and people were clapping and Maynard asked him if he could stop doing it because he found it distracting. And Justin was like, well, I think they're just clapping along with the song. But he stopped pointing at people. And the next night they clapped along anyway. So they were literally, literally just clapping along with a polyrhythm. In your face, that's Maynard. that's what tall fans do. They clap a polyrhythm. In your face. And uh, Justin said he flipped him off. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Legion Inoculant, that's another interlude. This one is really weird. I just wrote down, sounds like the inside of a spacecraft with mangled voices and sound inside of it. It sounds like an alien being born. There's loads of feedback, loads of electronic noises that you get when you turn a frequency dial on a radio and weird pulsing noises like you get in an aquarium. I think I was thinking about like when you're inside like a tunnel of fish and there's kind of these like weird sounds above you. But that's all I remember. Obviously you'd have to compare it to fish. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I like fish so doesn't, doesn't mean I need to bring them into everything. But yeah, I mean, that one, I can't really remember it, but that's what I wrote down. It was just kind of quite a weird one. It sounded, yeah, like aliens being born underwater. That's what I'm going to go with. Mm. Descending's another one they've played on stage. And that kind of reminds me a bit of Wings for Marie Part 1 from 10,000 Days and a bit of You Lied, which is a track that they covered from Justin's old band Peach. Mm. And this one I really like as well, actually, but it's taken a really long time because when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool, but I don't really know what to grab onto. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, Like there was no kind of like 
massive climactic bit or massive hook where I could really feel like I was drawn into it. So I kind of just was a bit lukewarm, but having heard it recorded, I actually think it's quite cool. It's kind of, again, it's quite like lulling and dreamlike and the lyrics are about being heedless in our slumber and having boundlessness and this madness of our own making. And it's kind of like this track that starts out quite soft and kind of mimicking that sort of dreamlike feel, but actually all the lyrics about us being really apathetic about things and how if we don't change our situation and make decisions, we're basically all going to die. Wow. So (laughs) you kind of think it's this sort of like dreamlike sort of, you know, I don't know, like fairly ambivalent or just relaxing sort of a song. And then you're like, hang on a minute. It's basically saying we're sleepwalking into our doom, which is pretty metal. Um, But I'm guessing that's why it's called descending. You know, it's like we're sort of going into this bad place and there's only so far you can fall before you reach the bottom. And then that's it. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of reminded me again of the last Perfect Circle record, that kind of thing of being political with a small p just social and political and kind of talking about the decisions we make and the things that we do and where it takes us and how we kind of have to wake up to these things or we're just going to sleepwalk into some hideous disaster, Mm. um, which is cool. It's, you know, it's kind of that thing of it sort of tricks you almost into a message without you realising that you've heard it. And this is interesting as well, because when we came out of the playback, Merlin, I remember you saying something like, um, oh, you felt like Maynard didn't really sing on as much of it. Yeah, it was it was kind of like uh, it wasn't even yeah. I mean, I don't think he felt like he, he sung much on it, and it, I just felt like he's he he didn't feel as present overall on it. Like when he comes in, it's it's beautiful, and he's one of the very best vocalists that Mel's ever had. But um, I just it's almost like I felt like with the Perfect Circle album, it, so much of it was about Maynard, like so much of the vocal melodies and the kind of somber tone of it and everything else whereas with this one it felt like he was just kind of one of many ingredients rather than a central part of it all to me i think it's quite interesting because in this song that's why i sort of mentioned it is that he stopped singing halfway through it's a 13 minute song and he's kind of finished his parts and then you kind of get these like you get like a big jam you get these spacey electronics that kind of sound like an old sci-fi film and when they play it live you kind of get this big pyramid visual on the stage which was like oh, you know, what's going to happen? It's sort of apocalyptic. So it's really interesting because it's sort of this proggy song that you don't think has got much to it at the beginning. And then actually there's sort of this kind of urgency and this message behind it, which is really nice. Mm. But again, I spoke to Maynard on that Perfect Circle record and we sort of talked about a sense of space because I felt like on that record, it was on Eat the Elephant, it was quite restrained as well. And there was no point where he kind of really came out and screamed. And he said to me about that record... That's because what you're hearing on the front end is all of that. That's your first introduction to the entire album is the quiet parts. Basically, that's what an interior decorator does. They set up the feng shui for you and they set the mood. It's all there on the albums. You were manipulated by feng shui. (laughs) Which I thought was quite funny because... Such a tall thing to say. I know. But it almost did make sense in that when you look beyond what you think is quiet or what you think is restrained, there's actually kind of more to it, which I think it was what he's getting at. And I feel like that's on this album a little bit, that kind of sense of setting the scene and pulling back the camera. And, you know, there's actually a lot going on underneath. So Culling Voices, this is kind of where it gets to its most kind of angry um, 
it's kind of an interesting one. Like I couldn't help but think of Donald Trump when I listened to this one. It kind of seems like it's about people who kind of have negative imagina- imaginary, that's a hard word to say, negative imaginary conversations with people in their own heads. So he says, disembodied voices deepen my suspicious tendencies, conversations we've never had, imagined interplay, psychopathy, don't you dare point that at me. So it kind of feels almost like somebody making something up in their head and perceiving a threat when actually that person hasn't even heard their voice heard. But, you know, this person's kind of presumed something negative about it. And I wondered if culling voices was kind of a reference to silencing people by imagining the things they've said instead of actually listening to them. Interesting. But Quite maybe incisive. I'm just going too deep. I don't know. You're going too deep for tool. <laughs> No layers to that, man. I've gone a bit English literature on that one. But, you know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Who knows? Interesting. Yeah. Dig it. And then, yeah, it gets quite heated. And I kind of like the fact it sort of does suddenly break through a bit of that feng shui and kind of goes for it a little bit more. You know, his voice gets quite angry. Mm. And then we've got chocolate chip, tr- chocolate chip trip. That's really hard to say. <laughs> Can you say that? That's chocolate chip. Chocolate chip trip. Can you say it, Alice? Chocolate chip trip. Fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's like um, it's sort of like a woozy interlude and it's essentially a drum solo wrapped in electronics and Danny Carey's been playing it live. Um, you might have seen on set list as CC Trip. And um, because it's tall, it's not really your average drum solo. It kind of just goes really experimental and weird. And um, Danny told us it's sort of a tribute to a fusion and jazz drumming guy called Billy Cobham. And it's a nod to him and the things that he's done before. And it also is in seven with him soloing over the top in seven. And he Mm -hmm. told us in our cover feature that seven is kind of a thing on this record. They've got time signatures in seven. They've had the seven pointed star. And I'm pretty sure he said something to us that was really enigmatic. Like drawing a six sided star is really easy, but drawing a seven sided star is more complex yeah yeah yeah. and i was a bit like okay (laughs) that makes sense but also i'm confused so there's a lot going on with seven in the record so when you listen to it it's probably something to look out for as well that kind of symbolism and those kind of time signatures and this one is really kind of like yeah it does feel very trippy although he also said it was fueled by chocolate chip cookies more than it was acid so there you go Nice. If you want to be in tall, just eat a load of chocolate chip cookies. I'm sure it's uh, that easy. I do that regularly. Yeah, me too. I'm very in touch with my prog metal inner being. <laughs> uh, and then we've got Tempest, spelled with a seven. This one also feels quite political to me. I like the intro. It says, keep calm, here we go again. And that kind of encapsulated some of how I felt about the record with the beginning being kind of calmer and this thing about the breath and being okay. connected and then going towards the end of the album where it's more kind of a little bit heated and sort of talking about some people who maybe have some problems interacting with people and are causing difficulties for the world. And yeah, it's kind of the rockiest of the songs. It actually sort of sounds quite, yeah, quite rocky, like electric guitar, soloy sort of rocky quite climactic in that sense yeah again it feels a bit more like they're actually sort of letting some anger out and letting something out definitely feels again like it could be about donald trump or other world leaders um talking about somebody who pretends that everything's okay but actually you can see through him and the shitstorm is about to go down so yeah 
That is quite cool. And obviously a tempest is a violent storm. So it could be about that or there could be some other layer of symbolism to a tempest. I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, somebody tell us if there is. I'm not sure. Can't really see if there's another hidden meaning there. You can go even deeper than L. Yes. Maybe it's to do with Shakespeare's a tempest. I don't know. That was Ooh, about rival. That's about rival that. factions. They were sort of fighting, weren't they? And mm. there was a witch in that, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Useful bit of pop at, quiz info. Which is witch's son, actually, not a witch. And then, yeah, the end of the record is Mocking Beats, which I like the play on words there. It's kind of cool. It's sort of very tall, isn't it? It's sort of a bit sly, and it's like mocking bird, you know, making fun of something, but mocking beat because it's music. There you go. It's kind of a pun. There you go. And, um, <laughs> How did you work that one out? <laughs> <laughs> you have uh, done your homework. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of like it. It's sort of like a chirping bird sound. It sort of yeah. recalls the crickets at the end of Undertale, which is their first record. And um, love it when bands do that. Those yeah. little callbacks. I remember it, Sabbath did that on 13. I just thought it's a really cool. It's a bit of it's like almost like a cheap emotional hit, but it totally works. <laughs> it definitely made me think of it, whether that was the intention or not. And um, yeah, I just think overall it's a really interesting record. I think it definitely returns to some of the themes of Lateralis and some of Maynard's stuff in Perfect Circle. Definitely feel like there's a lot of bits, again, like sonically from Lateralis, but also the 10,000 Days stuff in terms of the length of the songs and the pacing of the songs. And definitely that feeling of space that we were talking about, how there is chance for things to breathe in between the vocals and the connection between the guitars and the bass and that Danny's drumming is always obviously mad. Like he's an amazing drummer, but he could just as easily pull back and do something really simple. They use tabla quite a lot. And yeah, so I definitely enjoy it. I think it's a really good addition to their discography. What do you think it, um, is it what you were, is it everything you hope for? Do you feel kind of satisfied with it as a piece of work? I think it's sort of what, I expected without really having any expectations. I think it kind of follows on from what they've been doing and just takes it to the logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely like it now more, well, like on the second listen we had than the first listen, because I felt like it was just sinking in a lot more, whereas the first time was just kind of loud and like, I don't know what is going on. And I definitely think it's one of those records that the more you listen to it, the more you dig into it, the more you appreciate it it's not really something you can just have on in the background and go oh i've heard the tall record you kind of have to actually sit down and listen to it and have a little bit of patience and again i guess it's a little bit like probably shouldn't keep comparing it to a perfect circle but you know that's kind of the last time we spoke to maynard and they're another band that is you know i really enjoy it sort of reminds me a little bit about how their first couple of records went in and felt sort of very intense and passionate and emotional and then Eat the Elephant pulled back and was a bit more objective and a bit more political. And this to me feels, you know, it's not the tool of Undertale or Unima. It's not kind of raging singles or raging anger or kind of just getting things out or being sarcastic or telling a story in that way. It's much more kind of pulled back, considered talking about wider issues it feels more grown up at the end of the day and that's often what happens with bands isn't it you know you get older your perspective changes a bit you think about your own mortality as dark as that sounds which they spoke to us about a little bit and you do something more like this and doesn't mean it's not as good it means it's different 
There you go. That was Elle's deep take on the album itself. Uh, don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer to read her fascinating interview with the band themselves. Loads of really interesting anecdotes and stories and insight into the dynamic of uh, what went into making Fear Inoculum. Um, and there's another review of the album in there as well. Not by Elle, if you want a, if you want a different <laughs> take. And we're going to be publishing a full track by track kind of guide to the album as well on the website this week. For all things tall, you know that we are the mag and the brand to follow. Oh, that nearly sounded cool then. I fucked it up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. let me to talk about tools some more. All I can. things tall, we're the place to be, <laughs> whether it's in the magazine or online or, or right on here. So there you go. I should um, say as well that the tracks I was talking about, they're all on the digital edition. So that has three extra tracks from what the physical edition has. Yeah, true. Yeah, what do you think, what do we think about the uh, seemingly the only physical copy you can get of it at the moment is the £80 CD or like 70 quid CD. weird digital screen. It's a digital screen. Yeah. That's really interesting, isn't it? So like going all in on physical... Um, it's like if you want to if you want to buy this album physically, <laughs> you fucking buy it. Like you buy I, the shit out of it. I know it's basically <laughs> that. It's basically you've just got to go all in, haven't you? If you want it, you yeah. Know. But I mean, there'll, there'll be a regular CD version at some point, I'm sure, right? And like a nice vinyl. I don't know. Maybe not. Mm. I've kind of just I don't know. I've been know. too immersed in the world to actually look at what the options are apart from the crazy. I can't see thing. any evidence that so there's a regular sure. CD version you can buy at no. the moment that i can see so because it comes with a download code doesn't it if you get the crazy yeah yeah one. yeah, yeah. You get the crazy one very cool as always tool only doing things their way uh let's take some reader questions from facebook.com forward slash metal hammer readers uh someone do the first one well i've just talked for about a thousand hours so <laughs> someone else should probably do it okay so um finn mr 101 um, i think asked, it's Finnmeister. <laughs> Okay, Finnmeister, 101. (laughs) (laughs) Now that festival season is over, what has been the best festival for you or your highlights? For me, it was Slipknot at Download and watching a mosh pit circle. Circle a guy, sorry. Got confused then. Um, Circle a guy dressed as a fridge at 200. 2,000 trees. A mosh pit. 200, 200 trees. trees. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so basically... That's a slightly less good version down the road. So basically, there was a guy dressed as a fridge and a bunch of people were, like, moshing around him. Yeah, looks like it. Oh, wow. So that was Finn Meister 101. <laughs> 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 that was his festival highlight. What have been your festival highlights, then? We've all been to a few different festivals Lots. to each other as well, so we could have mm. a good mix of stuff here. Oh, you can just guess mine. Uh, tool a download yeah it was tool a download so I really want to hear any more about tool now but I, I thought it was really good and I'd already seen them in Berlin but it was nice to see them outside the different setting and a load of people who'd seen it for the first time etc and having the big screens up but no camera following them around like you'd usually have for a festival I thought it looked really cool nice and probably would have been Slipknot as well but I couldn't see very well from where I was probably you and Steve just standing in front of me the whole time <laughs> sorry for being tall <laughs> my bad but yeah I really enjoyed that as well I just didn't it wasn't you guys but we didn't have quite as good a place to watch them from so I think I felt you were a bit like, like next to me I know but we, it wasn't as good a place as what I had for tall is what I'm saying okay Alice, choices, best festival moments this summer? Um, well, I've been to quite a lot of festivals. Yes, you have. <laughs> so um, I'd probably say I loved the, I loved Midgar's plot. That's probably like a highlight. Mm. Um, the whole like opening ceremony and like experiencing that, that was really, really huge. 
because I'd wanted to do it for so long. Um, so that's probably like my major highlight. Mm. Um, yeah. And I guess I also really liked seeing Behemoth at Download on the main stage. That oh, was so pretty cool. I missed, that. I missed tons of stuff that day because our trains were all buggered. Yeah. I saw them. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I just, it was just so massive. It was just really cool to see um, like a more extreme band on the main stage. Yeah. It, it was like a big dark presence had just come yeah, over the field. And it just was cool. We're like, we're here now. Bringing <laughs> darkness. That's exactly how they sound. <laughs> that's cool yeah. um yeah i mean as i said i missed the a lot of the first day of down which is annoying but it was totally worth it because i think in terms of like a defining festival moment this this summer i think it is probably slipknot a download because it was just it felt so celebratory i think after that 2009 download say it was easily the best i've seen them it was the first time i've seen them at download since the the 2009 set where i kind of felt like it had its own identity in a way if you know what i mean like i can't really apart from one of them being really fucking rainy i can't really recall particular highlights between the other sets that have happened no it's almost like it's all kind of like angles isn't it like the first one was the first time yeah. and then the other ones were kind of good but there they wasn't did like one a... obviously that had been since paul had died and that was emotional oh, yeah. but they, they'd kind of paid that tribute at sonosphere so it was slightly different it wasn't quite as emotional in the same way um but this time it was just like, oh, look, one of the best metal bands of all time have turned up and they've got some ripping new tracks and the stage show looks cool. And Corey is on the form of his life and they're just utterly smashing it. And I just, I honestly don't know if there's a better opening song in the history of metal than People Equal Shit for a live oh, set. Oh, it's so good. It's just so good. And it just felt good. Like, it just felt like, obviously, there's a really good uh, day of build up with like Trivium and Behemoth and all these killer metal bands and the Amber. Um, uh, but yeah it would culminate in this just it's the kind of thing that download is all about and I thought that was really cool actually um, in that set as well they played Unsainted and when I put the record on now it makes me think of them live yeah it was really download, cool. it sort of flicks a switch in my brain and makes me feel really excited yeah, yeah. so that was weird how that very quickly just felt normal playing get this as well like such a savage opening few songs they went with yeah there um, were loads of savage ones actually weren't there it was a really heavy set they, oh, well, we said it at the time, back now they didn't they didn't even play left behind or um uh my plague i don't think did they so it's like two of their biggest track or maybe they played they didn't play left behind or oh they didn't play wait, uh, wait and bleed so they didn't play two of their biggest song arguably their two most famous songs not called duality that but it was, was still really amazing i really loved it it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to have heard that for you. Um, <laughs> uh, Honourable shout outs for um, uh, Danny Filth walking out on stage at All Points East. Yeah. It was just so surreal in a field of kind of essentially Bring Me the Horizon fans. Like a quartz painted Danny Filth pushing a trolley about on the main stage at Victoria Park was just so mm -hmm. surreal. I still love that they did really that video where it. they were just like, oh, what should we do? Let's get Danny Filth in corpse paint and he can push a trolley through a supermarket because yeah, he's wicked. got ennui very cool um obviously parkway bloodstock was really cool to see that that was a hell of a show as well um and also actually gajira at glastonbury was a massive personal highlight just to see such a great and vital metal band in a completely different surrounding was really really cool so i, I really enjoyed that as well wait to hear their next record if i'm allowed to pick a not metal one then dave at glastonbury because that was one of the best things I saw this summer. I don't so. even know who he is. I'm sorry. I know he's really mainstream, but... Don't worry about it. It's not really either. mainstream. Uh, it's grime. He's mainstream. It's totally still underground. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it is. He's, not, he's, playing like, he's played like Brixton Academy just after that. So. Yeah. 
Um, at Female Pheromone asks, why is the Slipknot tour so expensive? £64 for a standing ticket in Birmingham. I'm going to sound mm. like a dick for saying this. Is that expensive by arena gig ticket standards now? Is that about average? I feel like it's average mm. for an arena. It's a lot of money, for sure. I felt really Not something everyone can just dish out. Buying the Ramstein tickets, that was the last like big tour tickets that I bought. I bought the Coventry ones after the Milton Keynes ones. I'm pretty sure they were like £75. And then with booking, they're like £80 or something. And that felt like uh, massively mm. difficult. But at the same time, as we kind of spoke about, they've got loads of pyro and a huge show. So you kind of go, actually, they sort of need to pay for that. Mm. And so I guess Slipknot being like, what, £10 less than that, you're kind of like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a sort of arena show yeah, type like thing. A, it's going to be a big arena They're going to bring as production well. as well. Like, obviously yeah. not Ramstein Pyro. But and obviously, you know, no offence to those piano people who were supporting Ramstein, but it's a proper support act. Like, exactly. Behemoth are a, a big band in their own right. They play like the Forum now. So they, they pull a couple of thousand people in their own right. And, and there's uh, nine members in Slipknot. So everyone has to get paid. <laughs> Tortilla Man needs to pay his mortgage, right? And all of that. Without true. Tortilla Man, it would have been forty quid. But he's got he's got higher higher exactly needs. He's got, <laughs> every night he needs to have fresh bread on his rider. Exactly, fresh breads, freshly baked. Yeah, I don't know. It is hard because black M and M's. You look back at your old gig tickets and you're like, oh, I remember when I saw this band for ten pounds. So you're kind of you know I get the feels, but. In a world where increasingly people are putting on bigger shows with more and more production, I guess that's what we have to pay. And they're not making money off album sales anymore. Yeah. I think that's really important and people shows take that for granted. The booking fees yeah. and stuff, that's a slightly different um, conversation and I get that. It's quite frustrating to suddenly get paying another 10 quid for a ticket that you're just printing off at home anyway. But, um, the you know, very few of us are buying a copy of every album we listen to and there is a knock-on effect for that and you know some something if you want to see a big band and you've not even paid for their music again metalheads are pretty good for this generally speaking we've got actually a really good track record of paying for physical products so it's not taking a dig at us but um bands still need to you know support themselves and when you're a big machine like slipknot that's a lot of working parts that need to get worked out so there we go. There is one bonus of buying a ticket now as well for a gig in January is that when you're all broke and sad in January, you'll have already got a ticket for something fun. True. Mm -hmm. That. It's always nice to have stuff to look forward to in January, actually. Um, I'll pick this next question out because it means we can plug something in the new issues. So. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> He's right. Boy one asks, how fecking good is the new Sacred Reich album? Manifest reality is brutal. It is absolutely excellent. You are correct. And that is part of the reason why we did a big old interview with Sacred Reich about their comeback and the new album in the current issue of Metal Hammer. It's out right now. It's really good. <laughs> we do pay attention to these things. It we actually do. made me excited. Uh, this is one of the hardest questions ever. Yeah, I, oh, I, I honestly like can't think of anything. Do you want to read it out? Because I've, yeah. I've got, I thought of a couple of answers for this I can't even really think question. of one. Okay. Um, so what's your worst title track on a metal album? I mean, does Iowa really add anything except length to one of the greatest records of all time? Asks Aidan Delaney. Uh, yeah, it's really... <laughs> I was like, guys, we really need to think about some answers for this week's podcast. Like, Yeah, I, I couldn't even I don't know what to do for this question. Um, really I've got a couple though. I was a fairly good shout. It's not one of the things I necessarily sit in. I mean, it's an it's an 
immersive experience of a track, but it's not one I'll stick on out of, you know, if I'm just putting on some Slipknot bangers to get me hyped or something. Did you have any? Well, related to the Slipknot one, Audio Secrecy, Stone Sour, that's just an instrumental and it's quite boring, I think. I don't yeah. know, it doesn't really get me hyped or anything. It's just kind of there. I can tell you which Stone Sour album that it's is, to be honest. It's the opener. Um, no, I, I couldn't tell you which Stone Sour album that is. Oh, right. <laughs> it's got... Um, some that's the one... Is that the one before or after the House of Gold concept one? House of Gold... Bones one and two. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it was before them. Okay, cool. But don't trust yeah, got me because idea, my then. brains are reliable. Um, but yeah, I just felt like that was, I don't know. I didn't love it, but it's fine. It's just, I didn't love it. And then I thought maybe Bullet For My Valentine, The Poison, because that record's got a lot of other songs that were more of a hit, like Forwards, The Chocobar, and all these things I hate revolve around me, Tears Don't Fall. If you're a Bullet fan, you probably like those more than The Poison. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, it's a hard question because I was it's like, really hard. God, okay, think of some Metallica albums. Ride the Lightning, one of my favourite tracks. Master of Puppets, one of their greatest tracks ever. Um, okay, think of some Maiden tracks and it's like Iron Maiden, a classic song. Killers, a classic song. Number of the Beast, classic song. I did find a couple of Maiden tracks that I think buck the trend when it comes to title tracks. Um, given that it's arguably my favourite Maiden album, feels like a bit of a stupid one to pick, but out of all the tracks on Seven Son of a Seven Son... If I was asked at gunpoint to get rid of one, I would almost definitely get rid of the title track for that song, purely because it is super long and um, doesn't have, for me, the immediacy or the emotional kind of heart-stirring melodic impact of Evil That Men Do or Infinite Dreams, uh, etc. So I'd probably say Seven Sun is the the least excellent song <laughs> on that album, but it is pretty much an album of 9 and 10s out of 10s. Um, and also Dance of Death by Maiden as well. I actually think uh, Dance of Death as a whole is really underrated in their canon. I think there's a load of brilliant songs on there, like Passchendaele's on there. It's one of the best songs they've ever written. New Frontier's great. Monster is a fucking fantastic song. Um, Facing the Sands, a brilliant song. Rainmaker's a brilliant song. Dance of Death is not quite so much a brilliant song. I feel like that's when they let their pagan diddly diddly side um get a bit mad it, it basically goes kind of full prog geek fantasy metal um and for maiden that's saying quite a lot um i still like some of the parts of that song i remember it being live i quite liked it and all that but i i again if i had to um leave a couple of tracks on that album on the cutting room floor that would probably be one of them um another one that came up because it really ended up informing my opinion of the album as a whole, which I actually think does have quite a lot going for it. And I think there's elements of Silence in the Snow that they then brought out into uh, The Sin in the Sentence that really work. In terms of some more like properly heavy metal thunder bits and some of uh, Heafy's vocal tricks, I think he kind of then takes out and makes better on the album that followed it. But overall even though I think the album has got some good stuff on it, I think Silence, Silence in the Snow, the song is, is is just bad. I can't get into it at all. Um, I actually went back to listen to it and I was just like, it's just isn't, isn't good. If this was just some random power metal band, I would never have listened to this song again. It's so, quite slow. It's just so like, da, 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 like, it's because he was. So I don't know what it is about it. Heavy's voice sounds good, and it's that you know it's quite heavy and it's riffy, but it's just, the, those elements all together just don't click for me on that track at well, all. It's because he had vocal problems and learned to sing, isn't it? So that record is all singing. 
And so he just I did don't a have track a problem with the singing though. Kind of it's just singing. it's just it feels like laborious to listen to. It's very like dum 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 dum. It's kind of stately, just, isn't it? But yeah, stately is a really good but word. But it's it. stately, and it kind of just keeps going at the same pace. There's not a lot of variation in it. There's not a lot where you go like, whoa, what's happening there? It's just kind of, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah fair. Um, that's what I think. There um, you go. Rene Hewer asks, if Roadrunner were to do another Roadrunner United project, who would you want as team captain? This one's really hard as well. It is, because mm. I had to look up who's on Roadrunner yeah, nowadays, because they're, they're different. They're, some bands are on a slightly different label in different countries and stuff, so I wasn't sure it counted. Oh, well, would they have deep. to be on Roadrunner now? Yes. yes. Yeah. That's see, see, like I've got ones that were were on Roadrunner, but like well, who would be on your all time Roadrunner? Why? Why doesn't it count? They've got hardly any bands <laughs> now. I was like, no, I don't care about any of these. Um, what? Well, some of them. But <laughs> well, <I'm about laughs> should we say, say who the original <laughs> captains were? So the yeah, original captains were Slipknot drummer Jerry Jordison, Trivium frontman and guitarist Matt Heafy. Fear Factory guitarist Dino Cazares and Machine Head frontman and guitarist Rob Flynn. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Roadrunner United was a, uh, a thing put together to celebrate Roadrunner's 20th anniversary? 20th, I want to say 20th. 20th or 25th. Um, and they basically got tons of Roadrunner alumni and people from uh, the label to get together and jam out some new songs together I still kids. love how you can't say alumni alumni so fucking did it again so alumni. It again. alumni like alumni and illuminati I'm gonna start together. saying aluminium like aluminium aluminium <laughs> but yeah there were four, <laughs> there are four team captains chosen to lead 57 artists from 45 past and present Roadrunner bands oh, oh so they did do they did past and present bands. Oh, okay so uh, that's cool then. yes go on this makes me happier I think I did it right then yeah what are your picks um, so I put King Diamond. Oh, that's very such you. A good pick. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> and then I also put Danzig. Oh, mate, this is great. <laughs> this is so metal than well, punk, I guess. And then I put Rob Zombie. Oh, good. amazing. And um, Jerry Cantrell. Jerry that Cantrell, amazing. Yeah. Has he changed on Roadrunner? Yeah, he was like, I think it was his single. Oh, so that's, like, that's yeah. a bit sly, but we'll allow it. <laughs> that lineup's really good, though. That I, is really good. What kind of music would they make? I, like you got I a don't bunch know, of, like, but it'd be great. You've got a bunch of proper, like, like monstrous-looking goths, and they're, like, grungy, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I would love, you know when people say, what's your ideal dinner party? Like, who would you go to a dinner party with? I'd love to go to a party with them. Yeah, it would so be great. Fun. Fuck, yeah. yeah. Um, Al, who have you got? I've got, well, okay, I'm just going to explain them because they're not as, I don't know, it doesn't sound as cool as yours now, but <laughs> it's a current lineup. And I went for, instead of Jerry Jordison on drums, I went for Mario Duplantier because he's amazing and he's got like a thousand arms and can play really well. So I just thought he'd be really good. Excellent choice. And he's also really arty and paints drum heads and does pictures and stuff. So he'd be really good at contributing to like 
the way the package looked and the arty <laughs> side of the arty side of it as okay. well. So you kind of hired an art director. No, I just think it'd be really good. He also does Evil Mario. I think it'd be a good, like, he's a very good-natured person, a very talented musician, so I think he'd bring everyone together really well and have a good perspective on things. I've thought about this, Merlin. Don't take it away from me. You pick someone because they're good-natured. I like that. You've got to be able to get along. Come on, guys. This sounds got to be wholesome. If you're a team captain. Right. Yeah. Well, I did not pick wholesome characters. Well, I've not finished yet, so you can't do, do yours until I've finished. Right, okay. So I also picked Matt Heafy again because I thought it'd be good to have like a bit of continuity and he's a really solid hand. Like he's obviously can sing and play guitar and is good at songs. So I just thought he'd be kind of a good all-rounder to have and they're still on Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. And then I picked, from the guitarist, I picked Reba Mayers from Code Orange because I thought she would bring some like more kind of modern stuff to it and the fact that she can play guitar and sing would be good because Dino in the last version obviously is guitarist but not a singer so I thought that would be cool that she could do both and have input on both and then for the frontman one the other frontman I picked Corey just because he's a really good all-rounder and is good at vocals fair picks (laughs) can't argue they knew those um I've got a clown from Slipknot for mine because I think it would just be mad and he'd just beat everyone up and make them all do some weird, crazy He's music He's your together. art director. He's not an art director. I just wanted to go in and batter everyone and just <laughs> cause pandemonium <laughs> in the studio. Um, That's got, his art though. I've actually got Jamie Morgan from Code Orange. Because, I knew you would pick again, him. Because I just think, again, he would... There would be no... Um, I don't think there'd be any kind of safety things. The one thing when you get artists like this together is that they always end up sounding like less than the sum of their parts. They just sound, oh, like, here, this song sounds a bit like Fear Factory if they were mixed with Trivium or whatever. I think Jamie and Clown would not allow that. I think they'd just try and do some fucked up stuff, which would be really fun. Um, I've got Becca, Becca McIntyre from Mama Zets as well because um, they are wicked and I think she's awesome and super high energy and uh, one of the most talented singers going today and I'd really be interested to see what she would do singing over and kind of leading um, some other different musicians and I've got uh, Jason Allen Butler as well from Fear, mm. uh, the Fever 333 um, because again he's super experimental Fever 333 very kind of branching out into other things from what Let Live were who were already a little bit genre crossing so him in charge of uh, a rank of really cool musicians would be interesting to see. So those Now mine other. feels too safe, but I do think yours would be more rocky and less metally. I'd sort of maybe pick Clown and Jamie out of your lineup and shove them in mine somewhere. Well, there you go. Uh, should we do one more question then? Mm-hmm. Go on then, now. Marco LG asks, hard Brexit and touring. Whatever your position on Brexit, it is a fact that touring will become more expensive with a hard Brexit with possible visa issues. Are metal bands ready for that? Is anybody even thinking about it? Um, well, whatever people's position on Brexit, I would probably wager that most politicians involved probably aren't thinking about uh, rock and metal bands first and foremost in all of this because there's a lot of other stuff to untangle. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, it's something that uh, it's something that is is worrying for a lot of bands because again. You can say that no one knows what will happen, but uh, most of the research does seem to show that it wouldn't be a very easy thing to transition in, especially if there was a hard Brexit. Um, and it is probably something that it will be that will be affected. You know, the fact is that uh, when you're suddenly not part of an organisation that allows certain freedom of movements and has certain relationships and certain customs in place, 
going in between those countries, especially when you're crossing not just from the UK, but across different countries within Europe, I presume is going to become quite tricky or at least will change somewhat. Um, so no one really knows what's going to be, ha what's going to happen, but it doesn't, uh, I th I'll be very surprised if it all just carries on smoothly and there's no issues whatsoever when we're suddenly not involved in whatever current, um, rules and regulations there are for touring across the to touring across Europe. Yeah, we were just talking mm. about earlier about Orange Goblin situation and yeah. then being stuck getting into America and I imagine we see more situations like that where people had to provide a lot more background information and it was trickier to be able to get visas and the wait times and the paperwork would be amplified. Yeah, I'm wondering if um gig prices might go up and also whether or not we'd get so many tours. It might be like when I was a teenager and you'd be like praying and praying and praying for like whatever band to come to the UK and they just never seem to come. And now they seem to all come at some point and it's like, great. Maybe they won't anymore. Maybe it'll be. There's also things times. to take into account, like um, currency values and stuff, because when, when, uh, when like, you know, X euros is suddenly um, a lot less pounds because of shit hitting the fan that drastically affects um, how monetarily speaking you can afford to actually go across different countries and, and work all that stuff out as well so it's a, yeah it's a super complex issue and I again you know there's there's potential issues with things like medicine and food supplies and all sorts so I doubt unfortunately that metal bands touring is probably that high on the agendas of everyone involved in all this stuff but at the moment so but there's so much logistics there's going to be a lot of knock-on effect for sure as well like your kit and your crew like where's all that coming from where are you hiring stuff from what are people's nationalities how do you get your merch into another country etc there's just so many that's like the tip of the iceberg there's yeah. just so many things it's yeah one of one of many many things that is thrown under a lot of uncertainty about what's going on at the moment unfortunately so we will have to see what happens with that um before we say goodbye i also want to have a big shout out to big red as well um we've talked about our favorite bars in london or around england recently big red is very much one of the best uh, metal bars in London, one of the best metal bars in the world, to be honest. And they, they uh, revealed that they are unfortunately having to close um, soon because uh, their lease has not been renewed. Um, so they're being forced to move out after 16 years. So if you've ever been to Big Red along Holloway Road in London, you'll know what a great place it is. Loads of gigs there. It's a heartland for things like um, Battle of the Bands for Bloodstock, uh, Metal to the Masses, I should say. Uh, they're Battle of the Bands. Think what? Why are you shaking your head at me? Why are you shaking your head at me? Uh, I saw Battle of the Bands at Nambuka. Yeah, well, there's yeah, there's lots of places. I've oh, seen okay. I've seen a Bloodstock. Don't worry, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> there's many places, but I have specifically watched a Bloodstock thing at Big Red. That's okay then. Yes, so it's one of yes. Nambuka is another place where you can you can see um, the Metal to the Masses thing, but um, uh, yeah, Big Red was part of that. And um, God, loads of great bands have played there over the years, and it's always just been a massive part of the metal scene, especially in North London. So shout out everyone involved in that. And uh, yeah, I guess the reason I wanted to say it is because there's it's one of what seems to be an increasing number of local metal bars and important gig venues. They're getting closed down uh, in England in recent times and it's starting to get really fucking irritating to see the heart getting ripped out of all these metal scenes in towns around the UK. So I'm not sure what we all need to do about it, but it's getting pretty, uh, pretty shit. It's not like Big Red was even a, 
you know, people were there all the time. It's not like it could be like, oh, we all should have gone there more. Like their lease expired mm. and it didn't get renewed. Like, I know, yeah. I was going to say, like, I don't know what their specific situation is, but we've done investigative features before on Hammer. I think you can read some on our website. And often it's down to the landlords or the council, you know, some factor that's not in anybody's control and that's quite specific to that venue or the business rates. You know, it's just... It is what it is. It is, it is what it mm-hmm. is. And it sucks. And it really, really sucks. And I hope there's a way for this kind of endless tide of great places getting closed down to stop and turn around. And, and hopefully we can see some more places crop up um, in place of them. But again, we'll have to see what happens. It sucks. But, you know, if you're around Holloway in the next few weeks, go into Big Red and buy a beer and uh, while you still can, isn't it? Uh, that is it for this week. I'm going to be away for the next two podcasts. Uh, because I am going to be going away uh, to San Francisco next week. Interesting. Interesting. With flowers in your hair? With with flowers in my hair. <laughs> with flowers in my hair and my metal horns raised to the sky. Uh, maybe when I'm back, I'll have some stuff to talk about. Are you going to bring <laughs> us presents? That's all I want to know. No, we. Oh. But yeah, uh, I'm going to be in San Francisco next week. And, and yeah, back the week after that. So I'll leave it with you guys. Please don't break anything. Um, Thanks for joining us, everybody. I'll promise not to break anything if you promise to bring back different flavors of M&M's. Oh, you can have caramel flavor. Yes. You can promise that alone. We'll peanut butter, flavors. peanut butter. No, I made a money. Yeah. Seen the state of the pounds. What do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's it for this week, though. Owen and I will be back next week. Um, take care of each other, everybody. And appreciate your local venues and bars while you still can. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.